Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, turn with me to the book of Genesis chapter 32. Genesis chapter 32. In a moment, we'll begin reading with verse 21 of Genesis 32. Genesis chapter 32, beginning with verse 21. Let me give you a little bit of preface. The title of this message is Wrestling with God. Not just wrestling with God. And certainly not wrestling with God, but wrestling with God. Big difference. This is about Jacob. You will recall in the Old Testament you have Abraham and Sarah. Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac. Isaac and his wife Rebekah have twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Jacob, although they're twins, Esau was born first, Jacob second. And because Esau was born first, he was granted certain privileges as the older son. Birthright was one of them. Uh, it meant that he was uh, favored in many ways because he had more responsibilities than did the other siblings. Jacob, on the other hand, the younger son, was conniving. He was a jokester, a prankster, deceiver. And as time wore on, uh, like brothers normally do, they fought with each other. But as young adults, Jacob cheated his brother out of his birthright. Sometime later, Jacob, again, uh, deceives his father, Isaac, who by this time is old and near death and can't see. Jacob deceives Isaac into giving Jacob, instead of Esau, the blessing that should have gone to Esau. The result of that was Esau hated his brother, Jacob. Last time we see Before this chapter, the last time we see these boys together, Esau is thinking in his mind, he's thinking, now when my dad, who's near death, dies, I will kill my brother. He was not joking, he was not teasing, he was serious. And so Jacob flees his homeland and goes about 700 miles to the northeast to the area of Mesopotamia, it's modern-day Iraq, Uh, where his forefathers lived and where some of his family members, though he didn't know them, also lived. And there he finds a man named Laban, who's a kinsman of his. Uh, He has two daughters, Rachel and Leah. Jacob falls in love with Rachel, ends up, long story short, marrying both of them as well as, uh, and having children with both of them as well as their two handmaidens. Twenty years later, Jacob has not seen his brother in 20 years, hasn't seen his mom and dad in 20 years. His dad has since died. Mother has since died. 20 years later, he's coming home. He has his four wives, two primary wives, two secondary wives, the handmaids. He has 11 children. Later he'll have a 12th, but right now he has 11. And he's worried about how Esau is going to receive him. Last time he saw his brother, his brother wanted him dead. So he's a little concerned, but he's on his way home. He gets a little more than halfway back home, and he is in the area of what is today called Jordan, the country of Jordan, and he comes to a river 
called the Jabbok River. The Jabbok River is a small river that, that runs east to west and then southwest and then uh, empties out into the Jordan River. And Jacob stops at the Jabbok River. And this is where we find Jacob when Genesis chapter 32, beginning with verse 21, comes up. Verse 21, that night Jacob got up and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his 11 sons and crossed the ford of the Jabbok. After he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Now, uh, uh, just a little uh, stopping point here. In the book of Genesis, people encounter God several times, usually the writer of Genesis has them first thinking that God is a man, then sometimes an angel, and then toward the end of an encounter with God, they recognize him as God. In this case, Jacob first recognizes who would be God as a man. Later, he'll see him as God. So Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. When the man saw this be God, saw that he could not overpower him, Jacob. He touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. Then the man said, let me go for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And so the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered, Then the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans and have overcome. So Jacob said, well, please tell me your name. But the man replied, why do you ask my name? Then he blessed him there. So Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. Therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. It's an amazing story of Jacob, one of the patriarchs of Israel, encountering God at the Jabbok River and having a wrestling match with God. My dad, last December 31st, turned 75 years old, 75 I remember a time when I thought 75 was really, really old. Some of you young folks probably think 75 is really, really old. I used to think that 30 was really, really old. I remember I was nine years old when my dad turned 30, and I thought, man, my dad is really, really old. Probably only has a couple of years to live. You know what I'm saying? Wow, he's turning 30. Back in the 60s, my dad on Friday night uh, would watch a program called Atlanta Wrestling. Some of you may remember it. Uh, Now, later on, that turned into Georgia Championship Wrestling, hosted by Gordon Soley, this really vampirish-looking guy. But, But when Atlanta Wrestling was on in the 60s on Friday night, it wasn't hosted by Gordon Soley. It was hosted by a fellow by the name of Ed Caprell. Anybody remember Ed Caprell? Raise your hand. Yep. Four people. Four people remember Ed Capel. It's amazing. My dad loved Atlanta wrestling. Friday night was Atlanta wrestling night. And if we happened on a Friday night to be at my papa and granny Orr's, 
Papa Orr made sure that everything in the house stopped. It didn't matter what we were doing. Everything stopped for him to sit down and watch Atlanta Wrestling hosted by the ringside announcer, Ed Kaplan. And by the way, in the 60s, that show was live, televised from what was the sports arena on Memorial Drive. It's no longer there. And don't even hint remotely to my Papa Orr that this program was staged or that it was fake. That would get him riled as quickly as anything I can remember getting him riled was for the suggestion to be made that Atlanta wrestling was fake. I recall one time uh, uh, back in those days, not only did they have Atlanta wrestling live from the sports arena in Atlanta on Friday, but on Saturday the wrestlers would travel to different rural areas uh, in the state of Georgia, and they would put on wrestling matches like in high school gyms. And one Saturday night, they advertised that they were having a wrestling match at the Forsyth County High School Gymnasium, where we lived up in Cumming on the north side of Atlanta. And uh, it was the buzz of the county. Everybody was going. My papa decided he was going. Dad was going with him. He took us boys and uh, some of our friends. We all went there. The place was sold out, standing room only. You could not get another seat into the place. And they had Atlanta wrestling. Some of the great wrestlers of that time. My favorite was a guy named Mario Galito. Now, I don't know why he was the hero that he was. He had this scraggly black goatee that barely was worth calling a goatee. He had this this long, greasy, curly hair that went down to his shoulders. But he was a hero, man. You also had El Mongo. You had Mr. Wrestling number one and number two. You had the good guys. Those were the good guys. Then you had the bad guys like the the assassins. They were mass men, assassins. They never did they never did wrestle fair, you know. Uh, Gary Wright was one of the assassins. Uh, you know, they just never they never wrestled fair, uh, and they would fight each other. Mario Galito was my favorite, though, because even though he wasn't a muscle man, somehow he was the, the best of the good guys. He would get into a wrestling match, and, get, and, and he would struggle back and forth. The bad guy would get ahead, and then Mario would get ahead, and then the bad guy would get ahead. And then all of a sudden, at some point in the wrestling match, Mario Galito, and this is the only way I can explain it, he went berserk. I mean, all of a sudden... All of the adrenaline in him pumped out at the same time, and he goes bouncing off the different rings, and he slaps the guys he comes across and slaps him back, and he picks him up, and he throws him down, and it's just boom, 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 and it's done. Mario wins. <laughs> but that night, that Saturday night at Forsyth County Gymnasium, El Mongol was there, Mario Galito was there, the Torres brothers, Ray Gunkel was there, The assassins were there, and man, it was great. My papa, he loved it, absolutely loved it, until after the wrestling match was over and everybody was filing out of the gymnasium onto the high school parking lot. And he saw something that ruined his life. He saw El Mongo, the good guy, get into the same car with the assassins, the bad guys, and drove away from the Forsyth County High School gymnasium. And my papa could not handle that, came unglued. That the bad guys and the good guys were getting in the same vehicle to lead the Forsyth County High School gymnasium. Wrestling was not supposed to be that way. 
the good guys didn't speak to the bad guys and they drove off in separate vehicles and went to separate, separate states somewhere. Wrestling was a big part of those days. Uh, so much so uh, that, that uh, we would wrestle with our dads. And I say wrestle because that was the way we, we called it. Wrestling is different from wrestling. Wrestling is what clean, neat city boys do. Wrestling, wrestling is what serious guys do. And you wrestle with your dad in the floor. Uh, I have two brother, two younger brothers and a younger sister. But during the late 60s, it was just uh, my younger brother, Tim, who's two years younger than I and, and me. And dad would wrestle with us in the floor. And I remember uh, one of the most vivid parts of wrestling with dad in the floor was dad would get uh, Timmy in a, a toe hold and then a foothold, just one of his feet. And he would make out like he was really putting on some major pain. And Timmy invariably would say, ah, stop, I can't breathe, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. And I'm there. Now, this didn't happen to me. This always happened to Timmy. <laughs> but I remember, I remember stepping back and saying, Timmy, daddy's got your foot. It has nothing to do with you breathing. Go ahead and twist it some more, dad. Twist it some more. You can breathe. You can breathe. <laughs> Rattling in the floor. I love wrestling in the floor with my dad. It was one of those things that uh, when we got through, dad was always worn out and we were always saying, dad, let's do it again. Come on, let's do it again. My kids love to wrestle in the floor. Amanda, not so much, but the kids and I, we used to really wrestle in the floor a lot. Genesis 32 is about a guy who wrestled with God. Can you imagine that? He wrestled with God. Jacob is on his way back to his homeland after having been 20 years gone. He has what amounts to four wives, two primary, two secondary, because they're handmaids. But he has 11 of his 12 sons with him already. He has a lot of flocks and supplies, and he gets to the Jabbok River. He's worried about how his brother Esau will receive him. He sends his wives and his children and all of his supplies on across the uh, stream at the river Jabbok, and, and he stays behind by himself. And while he is there, he has this strange wrestling match, and all of a sudden, as he's starting this wrestling match, he thinks he is wrestling overnight with a man, a strange man that he's never met before. Now, Jacob, over his life, because he's a jokester, a prankster, a deceiver, a conniver, he has made a lot of enemies in his life. His brother hated him. He cheated his father. There were times when he was at odds with his mother. His father-in-law Laban, who was just like Jacob, they did not like nor did they trust each other. Jacob made a lot of enemies. But at no point until, until Genesis 32 does Jacob realize that one of his strongest opponents is not Laban or Esau or Rebekah or Isaac, but it's God. He found in the middle of this wrestling match that he thought it initially was with a man. He thought he came to realize that his wrestling match was not with just a man, but was with God himself. And it was a necessary, very necessary wrestling match. A lot of scholars are arguing back and forth, have been for centuries over what this wrestling match means. It's so unusual There's a place where the writer of Genesis says that in the middle of the wrestling match, this man, who we now know is God, tried to get the best of Jacob, but the text itself says he couldn't. God couldn't? 
There's another place where Jacob, with, with God, is, God is trying to leave, and Jacob reaches out and grabs his garment. He says, I'm not going to let you go unless you, unless you bless me. Can you imagine that? Somebody grabbing God's garment and saying, I'm not letting you go unless you bless me. And God, and God does it. He submits to him. It's a weird story. Frederick Buckner, the Christian author, said this, He says, this wrestling match Jacob had with God is the magnificent defeat of the human soul at the hands of God. Whatever the meaning of the wrestling match, there are some wonderful truths that break out into the surface that I think you and I need to be aware of. Some very important principles that come out of this thing. And the first of those is this, that the life of faith is a life of struggle. Look at that on the slide very carefully. The life of faith is a life of struggle. We have an epidemic in our in our world, especially in America and in America, especially within evangelical Christianity. We have an epidemic. You want me to tell you what it is? It's called superficial Christianity. I have another word for it. It's the same thing. Simplistic Christianity. Superficial Christianity, which, which is, is of, it's really a pandemic because so many Christians have bought into it. Perhaps even many of us right here today. Superficial Christianity loves to take Christianity and reduce it to these little five, six, or seven word church front sign cliches. As if real Christianity can be reduced to such. Working in God's garden produces peace of mind. That makes me so sick, I think I'm going to throw up. Listen, you can't reduce real Christianity to something that simplistic and superficial. Anybody who believes that the life of faith is a piece of cake has never really tried to live the life of faith. Living the Jesus kind of Christian faith requires perseverance, determination, guts, and trust. Listen, you will not get this kind of Christianity in a happy meal, ladies and gentlemen. It's going to take work for you and me. The life of faith is a life of struggle. Second, it was only when Jacob was reduced to nothing... That he had this encounter with God. This is something that when reading this story, I think we we almost miss quite often. Notice this. It says that after Jacob had sent his family across the stream, he also sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, comma. And then the next phrase says, and a man wrestled with him till daybreak. Ladies and gentlemen, it wasn't until Jacob had absolutely nothing but himself and the clothes he came in on that God showed up to confront him in this wrestling match. I'm reminded of Jesus' words in, uh, you know, the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Jesus opens up that sermon with what we call the Beatitudes. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteous sake. Blessed for righteous sake. Blessed are, etc., etc. In verse 8 of Matthew chapter 5, Jesus said this. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Pure in heart. 
Pure means with absolutely no additives or preservatives or distractions or foreign ingredients. You can go out and you can find gold ore. Gold ore is worth not much at all because it has impurities in it. But you run gold ore through a furnace so that the, the, the ore is melted down and they can can skim the impurities off the top and what comes out on the other side of the furnace is not gold ore with its impurities, but solid, pure gold without its impurities. And pure gold is far more valuable. Jacob had sent his family on and Jacob had sent all of his possessions on. Jacob was all alone and God showed up. One of my favorite Uh, short story writers is William Faulkner, although he's difficult to read. (laughs) But my favorite William Faulkner short story is The Bear Hunt. It's about the McCaslin family, generations of the McCaslin family. They're hunters. They love to hunt bear. And they'll go out certain times of the year and they have these big camps where they hunt bear. And invariably in these camps, the older members of the McCaslin men talk about this big bear. This, this, this larger-than-life bear, they've even given him a name, Old Ben. Old Ben, everybody's been looking for him. Everybody's been wanting to capture him and shoot him, and nobody's been able to get him. Old Ben's too wise and too big, and he always is so evasive and elusive. <laughs> never gotten him. I know a little bit about that. I've never been bear hunting, but years ago when I did hunt, I don't hunt anymore, but when I did, um, I would go with my dad to uh, deer hunt. And we would be in deer camps. And, and I'll tell you, I've never been in a deer camp where you didn't have a conversation by some of the older guys about, boy, there's this deer out there, man. I'm telling you, old Abe, I'm telling you. Have you ever seen him? He's got 34 points. He weighs 875 pounds. Nobody's ever gotten him. He's so hard to find. Well, the McCaslins had this picture of old Ben, this bear, and the youngest member of the McCaslins is Ike. And as he grows up from childhood to adolescence to adulthood, his dream is catching old Ben. And one year in the fall, he, gets, he decides that he's going to go out into the woods and he's going, to, he's going to find old Ben no matter how long it takes. So he loads himself up on all kinds of food and drink and ammunition and weapons and, and clothes, all kinds of supplies. And off he goes into the woods. And he stops at a place and he waits and he waits and he waits and the hours pass by and he gets a little bored. And, and so he eats a little bit of his food and drinks some of his water out of his canteen. He lays some of that stuff aside and he goes deeper into the woods, goes through the same routine, still gets bored and hasn't seen Ben. He, he thinks he hears him back and forth, but he hasn't seen him. And so he unloads some more of his burdens and he, and he heads on deeper into the woods. And this repeats over and over throughout late into the day. And finally... Ike is exhausted. He's already shed all of his food stuff, his drink supplies, most of his ammunition he's laid aside. All he's got in his hand is his gun. And at one point, he props that gun up against an old oak tree, and he, he progresses forward about 50 yards into the woods, and he's looking down on the, 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 the dried autumn leaves, and he's, he's trying to get an idea of where old Ben is. And he gets about 50 yards from where he has put his rifle. He has nothing else with him but his clothes. And he looks up and old Ben is looking at him right in his eyes. And it was only 
when he had let go of all of his possessions that he saw Ben. It was only when Jacob was alone and with absolutely nothing that he encountered God. May I, may I suggest to you why so many of us, you and me included, have had such rare occurrences of encountering God personally? You want me to tell you why? Why it is that those occurrences are so rare? I'll tell you. Because we don't like unloading our stuff. We don't like being naked. Even if it means being naked before God. It was only when Jacob was alone with nothing, reduced to nothing, that he had this encounter with God. Number three... Wrestling with God will expose your weaknesses. We don't like our weaknesses exposed. I've noticed this about human nature. We all have weaknesses. Some of us don't like to acknowledge them. Some of us acknowledge them privately, but don't want anybody else to know about them. But either way, we don't want to be pushed into a situation where our weaknesses are exposed. This wrestling match with God was one in which Jacob's weaknesses, which were many, by the way, were exposed before a holy and just and merciful and loving God. And Jacob was very uncomfortable with that. Now, some people might say to you, oh, you should never wrestle with God. But I'll tell you, you're going to have a hard time seeing that, that the statement proven in this chapter. In fact, this chapter, if anything, tells us that wrestling with God is something we must do because there are times when the weaknesses in our lives, the impurities in our lives, can only be purged by a wrestling match with God. And I'm not talking about playing Tinkerbell with God. I'm talking about a serious struggle with God. Wrestling with God will expose your weaknesses. And finally, wrestling with God will change your character. You know why many of us don't want this kind of encounter with God? Because we're afraid to have our character changed. We're afraid of what it might mean. Jacob's wrestling match with God, first of all, left him permanently injured. The man, who turns out to be God, realizing he can't overwhelm Jacob, which is an amazing statement in my view, he reaches and he, he unhitches the socket of Jacob's hip. And from that point, for the rest of Jacob's life, he walks with a limp. Now, in our day, he would have hip replacement surgery, but he didn't have that advantage back in his day. And so every time he would roll over in the bed, he felt it. Every time he tried to get up from the bed in the morning, he felt it. Every time he would get up from where he'd been sitting in the middle of the afternoon, he felt it. Anytime he'd try to put one foot in front of the other, he felt it. There was not a single minute of the rest of his life that he was not aware that he'd had a wrestling match with God. It leaves you changed. But not only did it leave him physically changed, but you remember God starts to leave and Jacob, he grabs his, his garment and says, I'm not going to let you go until you bless me. And the man, God, turns around and says, what's your name? He said, my name's Jacob. He says, not anymore. From now on, your name will be Israel. The name Jacob meant a conniver. 
Someone who was untrustworthy. But the name Israel, the name Israel, its root meaning is this. Someone who has struggled with God and won. A totally different name. Jacob, who had, who had been one type person before this wrestling match, from that point on, was so different, ladies and gentlemen, that if you read the contrasting stories before and after that wrestling match, you would think we were talking about two different people. This wrestling match that Jacob had with God changed his life. Now, think about this. Obviously, wrestling with God is a venture that we can't win, right? Can anybody wrestle with God and win? (laughs) I mean, that sounds like a rhetorical question. The obvious answer is, of course you can't win. Yet, in wrestling with God, Jacob did win. You and I can't win wrestling with God. And yet, in wrestling with God, we actually do win. Because Jacob was changed. In this wrestling match, and I, I submit to you that there were changes made in his life that would never have been made had it not been for the wrestling match that he had with God. And so I want to ask you, have you struggled with God lately? Have you wrestled with God lately? And please don't tell me in superficial Christian terms, I don't believe you ought to wrestle with God. Brother, let me tell you, you have to wrestle with God. If you don't wrestle with God, there is an amount of growth that you will never know. And so I want you to hear this. Hear this very carefully. If you haven't heard anything else, hear this. The road to spiritual growth winds through the experience of wrestling with God. I'll say it again. The road to spiritual growth winds through the experience of wrestling with God. And get this. Struggle is the pathway to growth. If you think for a minute that you can grow spiritually without struggle in your life, without wrestling with God in your life, my friend, you are fooling yourself. The pathway to spiritual growth always goes through struggle. Here recently I was mowing my grass. I have centipede grass. And I noticed down on the edge of my grass, my yard near the woods, the grass was uh, getting thin. It was dying out. And I thought, man, I've got a problem down there. And the closer I, I got to it, I realized that some of the trees in the edge of the woods had their roots had come over into my yard. And I could see the, top, the surface of the roots just inside the, the boundaries of my yard. And I know that those trees, part of the problem was with my grass, was that the trees were sapping up the water that I needed to go to my grass. And so uh, I put off and put off. And finally I decided I'm going to get my axe and my shovel and I'm going to cut those roots out and dig them up. It was a a little more of a job than I had anticipated. But I went right to the edge of the yard, and I'd see where the roots were, and I would dig around, and I'd take my axe, and I would chop them off the rest of the tree. And I would dig around a little bit further, and, and to my surprise, I figured these roots maybe were, I don't know, five feet long maybe? But I started pulling them up, 
And they kept coming up, kept coming up. Some of them went all the way in, halfway into my yard. Some of you have seen my yard. They went like 20, 20, 25 yards into the middle of my lawn. And I thought, how in the world could those roots do that? Those roots had to, they, they, they started out near the tree and they slowly, with perseverance and patience, they made their way through dirt. Some of the dirt was soft, but some of the dirt was hard, hard ground. And yet those roots would keep going through, keep going through. They struggled. Do you hear me? They struggled into that ground, halfway into my yard. Because somehow God has designed those roots in much the same way that he's designed you and me. And it's this. In order for growth in that tree to take place, the roots have to struggle and go places that you would never think that they could ever go. You'd think they'd be too weak to go there. Folks, please hear me. I'm not overstating This when I say that this may be the most important thing I've said to you all year long. The pathway to growth winds, always winds through the experience of wrestling with God. Struggle is the pathway to growth. You can write it down. We may not like it, and I'm not saying I do. But you can write it down. It's the way things work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you'll have to forgive me because for the past 30 minutes or so, and really for the past week and several weeks before that, I've been wrestling with this passage of Scripture and it's like... It's like swimming in rapids that are over my head and I, 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 can't, I can't deal with it. The idea of wrestling with you and that wrestling being a necessity for our growth is something that is so deep and rich and thick that I can't handle it. And even this morning I've only scratched the dust of the dust of the surface of it. But God, it's my desire to grow in my spiritual walk with you. And it's my desire that each person under the sound of my voice grow deep and wide and broad and thick. And Lord, if anything, this passage teaches us that that kind of growth will come through intense struggle, even struggle with you. Help us to get our arms around that somehow. Lord, as we get ready for this invitation, there are people here who need to begin their walk with you by receiving Jesus as their Savior and Lord. Lord, I pray that folks would come to this altar just for that purpose. Lord, I want you to come into my life and save me. Give me eternal life. Lord, I pray that that Christians, those of us, many many of whom have been saved for many years, we will come to the realization that rather than superficially avoiding struggle, we realize that it must be embraced. And help us, Lord, to make that decision. Lord, for those who are looking for a church home and this is where you're leading them, I pray that they would lay down the gauntlet and say, I'm making this decision. 
Lord, let this be a day like Jacob's day. Wrestling with you. May this be a day when somebody's life is changed forever from what it used to be. In Jesus' name, amen.